Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. We just heard journalist Tracy Simmons in conversation with Pastor Dan Hageland and evangelist Linda Meisner. The Hageland family moved from Tacoma, Washington to Post Falls, Idaho for political reasons. They wanted to live in a community not observing COVID-19 public health mandates. Their decision, it turns out, is not an isolated one. I talked with Tracy Simmons to learn more about why she felt this story was important to share. Have you been surprised by some of the reactions to this story? So far, people are noticing the trend themselves. And so they're glad now to see some faces to it and to hear the stories. You know, they've heard that people are fleeing to Idaho because the restrictions aren't quite as rigid. Uh, The restrictions are more lax. And this was happening before COVID. It's a conservative area. Washington state is turning more and more blue. So people were glad to see that there's some data now, some realtors who are seeing this and to hear a family story um, about having this experience. Um, Other feedback I've gotten is disappointment from people who live right on the border because they love Idaho and it's such a beautiful place and they don't want to see it overrun with anti-maskers, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's been interesting. What inspired you to do this story? I was tipped off by a friend of mine who lives on the west side of Washington State who had who knew this family and knew they had moved to North Idaho. And she thought it was interesting. There's kind of been this storyline for a while now that all of these liberals from California are moving to North Idaho resort towns and taking over. But I kind of saw that maybe there's actually another story here, which is that conservatives are actually moving to Idaho, trying to keep it conservative because they see it as a place where they can fit in and they belong and they're safe. Um, And so I decided to kind of dig into that. And it turns out that that is that is the trend. I would say if you look at the U.S. Census, you can see that Idaho is I think it's like the fourth fastest growing state. And it has been consistently. It's cheap. I live right on the border of Idaho. And it's much more affordable than Seattle or California. And people are looking for a place where they can have those conservative values and raise their family. One of the realtors who I referenced in my story moved his family from California to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is a resort town, because he wanted his kids to be raised with traditional values. And he wanted to be close to nature. And it was affordable. You know, and I think that's a, a pretty common thread for sure. Well, and I was also struck by the the kind of the association or the notion of religious freedom. That was a strong theme that plays out in your story. And you hear it as they think about and talk about restrictions. Well, I thought it was interesting. Pastor Dan, who I talked to for the story, he said, well, look, we were asked to close down our churches temporarily so the hospitals wouldn't be overrun. And he said, this is the right thing to do. This is being a good steward. But then when the churches didn't reopen after three weeks or after three months, he said, wait, this isn't doing a favor for the hospitals. He saw it as an infringement where the governor is trying to shut down our churches. That's what this is about. It's not about COVID anymore. And he's not the only one who feels that way. There's a lot of churches who feel this way and have just decided to operate as usual, regardless. And I know there's been a couple churches in the Spokane area that filed lawsuits that have recently dropped those lawsuits. And in Idaho, across the border, churches just kept meeting as usual. You know, um, Pastor Dan, his family 
have decided to go to a megachurch uh, there in Post Falls and they don't wear masks. There's thousands of people. I don't know if they're sitting socially distanced or not, but that's what they were searching for and they found it. It's interesting because there have been quite a few news stories published on outlets like Religion News Service and and others that have documented how houses of worship, particularly some of those kind of mega church events, became in some communities super spreader events that led to pastors dying or members of the family dying. One thing that was striking to me is the the reaction of Pastor Dan. You know, there was this level of skepticism about the stories that documented people dying from attending a house of worship that was known to have become a super spreader event uh, in which not everybody died, but it was enough people that it was documented as such by the Center for Disease Control. What did you make of his reaction to the media coverage of COVID? As a journalist, I always find it disappointing when people don't believe the media that's in front of them. Yes, the storyline in 2020 has been dominated with Trump and COVID. And if you are pro-Trump and you are of the belief that COVID is blown out of proportion and it's not real because you physically can't see it within your circles, then, yeah, that's what we're seeing right now is that the media media now has become... uh, fake. It's a storyline that they're pushing. It's agenda setting, right? And that's what that's what they believe. I hate to see that. And I see it with a lot of people. They're losing trust in the media because that's those are the only two stories out there and there's so much more going on in the world. But, you know, I think that we have to trust what the media is telling us, but you have to be a good news consumer, know which news to trust. I know that you teach journalism to students, and I have to imagine that this climate in which you're one is be- contemplating becoming a journalist, that this would be extremely disheartening. The trust issue, though, specifically in media and media reports of COVID is definitely one dimension. But what about the numbers, the toll? And every day, the toll number keeps changing. So at the time of this conversation, more than 355,000 Americans have lost their lives. It's the leading cause of death in the United States this year. That is not a, that's not an agenda. That's a data point. And I'm curious, Tracy, how did you see them internalizing or believing that data point? So the way that they view it, it's no different than a common cold. That's how many people get the flu, get a cold. They use the term sheep. They refer to all of us who wear masks as people who just blindly follow and are using our critical thinking skills which I thought was was interesting. They said that they're not seeing people die in the streets. There's no one they know who's been affected. Mm-hmm. And you know, three months ago, I didn't know anybody who was really impacted by COVID. It was headlines that I was seeing. To me, that didn't make it any less real. But in recent weeks, I've definitely seen a lot more people I care about who have lost loved ones to COVID, you know? But until they can see it physically, it's not real to them. No more than a cold or, or the flu. And, and they think it's the government trying to make it worse than it is. And there's no reasoning with that, you know. No, I, I'm also struck by the analogy that I've heard some make to the absence of national mourning and grief. You know, you're saying that you were reading the headlines. You are a journalist. You trust certain media sources. You think critically and you look at different sources, different competing sources, I imagine. And it is striking because... One of the things that I I know 
many people who think about this through the lens of social psychology and social trust is that as a community, the absence of shared rituals that have broken down because of quarantine, because of lockdowns, because of social distancing, and the lack of a public mourning and a grieving and a naming and humanizing of a very large number that can feel really numbing is part of the challenge. You spent a lot of time with this mother and son who have this passion and this conviction that's genuinely held. I mean, you can hear that in their story. I'm curious how the topic of mourning and grieving had come up in the conversation. It came up in the way that he said, death is a part of life, you know, life, death, life, death, it Mm -hmm. happens. And he said, it's the circle of life, just like you're going to lose people you care about to a car accident or to alcoholism or to cancer. Mm -hmm. This is just another thing. And we can't stop living because of it. And, you know, control came up. um, The issue of control came up in our conversation because I asked him, I said, do you feel because he had a church in, in Tacoma and he just closed it without warning and moved to Idaho. And I said, do you feel like you abandoned your church, your congregation? And he said, no, because there are things I can't control. He corrected himself. He said, COVID is one of them. Actually, the government is one of them. Mm, okay. And so he couldn't control how he worshipped in Washington state because of the government. So he moved to Idaho, which that was how he took control right. of of living without masks, of being able to advocate for Donald Trump and to be able to to worship and to be able to sing in a choir again. Mm-hmm. Which I, I have to point out, singing in choirs are identified by public health officials as being one of the most um, risky actions in a house of worship. I want to ask you, when you met with them, had the election been decided? Yes. So kind of. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A lot of Trump supporters were still saying it's not over until everything is counted. I think they're still counting a few states. Yeah. Yeah. I'm struck by that, too. And I'm curious that if in reaction to a Biden-Harris administration and in is that if that's going to influence, especially over the next few months, uh, another wave of movement. Yeah, I think we're going to see a wave of people moving to Idaho and even if there is a blanket mandate from Biden-Harris, that doesn't mean it's going to be enforced in any way by local officials in Idaho. When you describe the impetus to move, it's political. It's a desire to be with a different tribe that's defined by party identification. And it is not new. I mean, we have talked about on this show when you and I have talked several times about just how polarized the country is right now and what are different actions that can create opportunities for understanding. But I can't remember a time hearing people say, well, I want to move because I want to be in a blue state or I want to move so that I'm in a red state. I know people have chosen to move because they want to be closer to the water, closer to the mountains, closer to the beach, um, closer to family, closer to relatives. Maybe they want a different commute. Maybe it's the economics. Most often I hear people move because of their jobs and education. I think they were more concerned about getting away. You know, so not only were they worried about COVID guidelines and restrictions in Washington state. They didn't want Jay Inslee for another term because Mm. he's a Democrat. The Black Lives Matter movement in the Seattle area, which Tacoma is not far from Seattle. So there was some 
protests and stuff happening in Tacoma where they were too. They wanted to get away from that as well. And that was a big thing for them. Hmm. All of this, they called it a, a, a cultural revolution is happening in these blue states that they didn't want to be a part of. And they associated that cultural revolution with a progressive liberal movement. And so they did want to be closer to a tribe, which would be a Republican, conservative, evangelical tribe. Mm -hmm. I think that this conversation that you've brought to us and that you're sharing with us, I hope, will offer more dimensions to listeners who may see those who are making these choices in one dimension. Yeah, I think these stories are really important. I've done like a lot of reporting on North Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I did a story on survivalists and people who live off the grid. Right. I did a story on a cult that's taking over a town on the Idaho border. And I just think these are stories that we need to hear because they may make us uncomfortable, but they're happening in rural America in these communities that the Seattle Times isn't going to cover, you know, New York Times isn't going to cover, but it's happening and we need to know about it. Not so that we can be divided further, but so that we can understand one another and understand what motivates one another. And my hope is that if I can take the time to understand why this family is picking up, closing the church, moving to another state, if I can just learn about them and understand them a little bit more, maybe they'll take the time to understand me a little bit more and maybe we can actually find some common ground. And that's kind of my whole mission as a, as a reporter, yeah. you know, a religion reporter. Tracy Simmons is an award-winning journalist specializing in religion reporting and digital entrepreneurship. Currently, she teaches journalism at Washington State University and serves as the executive director of Spokane Fabes a digital journalism startup covering religion news and commentary in Spokane, Washington. I want to take a beat here and just thank you for tuning in this week. I also want to remind us that we are still in the grip of a global pandemic. This morning, my sister, who lives in Alabama, shared that the positivity rate for COVID tests in Birmingham is 47%. That means for every 100 people being tested, nearly half are testing positive. She is a nurse and her husband is a doctor, and they are pleading with friends and family to wash hands, maintain social distance, and to wear a mask when you are indoors and in public. Unlike the Haglands, I know several people who have contracted COVID-19. Some have survived, others have not. My mom lives in a nursing home, and over the last year, she has lost several friends to COVID. I know my family is not unique. And I know there is an enormous disparity in who survives and who does not. While I believe strongly in creating a space to hear from people with whom we disagree, I do not believe it's responsible to share misinformation or seed doubt about the science of public health and the emergency that we are in. While the Haglands choose to not follow public health mandates, COVID-19 continues to surge including in Washington state. The hospital system, healthcare workers, both in Idaho and Washington, are impacted and strained. Friends, I am appealing to you to follow public health guidelines. Politics and political identity aside, I want you to stay safe. I want you to find safe ways to stay connected. 
And as we wrap up this week's show, I want to invite you to learn more about Interfaith Voices and to consider joining one way that we're hoping to create some connection. We're starting a book club, and I hope to have people with different points of view participating. We'll meet once a month virtually on Zoom. I would love to have you join me in conversation. To learn more, sign up for our newsletter at interfaithradio.org. If you have thoughts about this week's show or have ideas or feelings about what is happening in our country right now, I want to hear from you. You can send me an email, amber at interfaithradio.org, or if you want to post on our social media, we're at Interfaith Voices on Facebook. A special thanks to our producer, Kevin McCarthy, who has put in tremendous time, effort, energy, and long hours to bring this week's show to you. A thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, and MC Yogi for our theme music. If you missed any portion of this episode, I invite you to head over to interfaithradio.org where you can stream it in its entirety and find show notes for this week's episode along with links to the guests that we featured and the episodes that we referenced at the beginning. If you like to listen to podcasts, I invite you to subscribe. Just search Interfaith Voices. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. I want to thank you for listening. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe, and we will see you next week.